Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Let's thank our worship team who did a great job today. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't filled out a, a, uh, um, a miracle card, to fill one out. And uh, you can put that in the container there or take it to the Connect desk. And we want to continue to pray for you. How, what a powerful prayer. Jess prayed that prayer this morning. And, and I'm believing God for miracles in the house. Just before I start, a little while ago, excuse me. It's all right. I don't have COVID. Um, a few weeks ago, I picked up one of these Bibles. I was sent it as a sample. You know, we sometimes have sent samples to churches, and it was sitting out there and for, I think, well over a year. And I, I looked at it, and I picked it up. I thought, I'm going to take this home. I'm going to start to read it. And basically, it's called The Story. It's the story of the Bible uh, from beginning to end. And it's take excerpts that are taken out of the New International Version. So it's actually the Word, but it's been, uh, it's been put together, pieced together, so that you can read the Bible as a story. Anyone ever get confused in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, two histories running simultaneously? You need to be a mathematical genius to work out what's happening when. But, but this puts it all together in a story. And... Um, I, I bought some copies of this. I'm giving one to every single one of our kids. Gave one to Bella, who's here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to test them on it. Just kidding. Uh, I'm going to, and, and I want to encourage you. I've been reading the Bible for, well, I, I read some of the Bible. I used to study it at school. It was called Divinity. That's a good name for Bible study. We used to do divinity, and I, I, I read the Bible, and I loved the Bible, even though I didn't know Jesus personally. But I've been reading the Bible for decades, uh, every day, and I, wanna, I love this because it's just refreshing. It's the kind of book you take away when you go on holiday or when you're away to just read the Bible again afresh. Anyway, if you would like to get one, we have them out in the foyer and you can buy a copy of it, or maybe give it to someone as a gift. But I want to give this as a gift. Raquel, could you come and help me? And give this as a gift to Jess Abbott's uncle and aunt, who are visiting from New Jersey. And uh, so good to have you with us. She was just recently back there for a wedding. So uh, God bless you. And Daisy Masia, Dizzy George, is here with us. Stand up. She's... Yeah, sorry, but she's with us, and I want to give her a big welcome back. She's studying Bible College in Tennessee and uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm really happy that she said she can't wait to get back to California, the promised land. Uh, but she is doing really well, and it's lovely to have her with us. All right, how are you doing? Okay, I want to first of all, I want to take a moment just to thank you all for your love and your prayers and your support for for our family and particularly for my wife, Di. Um, her mum went out into eternity to be with Jesus. Um, on this Tuesday, it'll be two weeks. And today, or in Australia, which is Monday, uh, her funeral service is being held and we're going to be watching that. We can't be present, obviously, because of COVID restrictions, but we're watching online. And I know it's going to be tough, it's going to be hard, but 
uh, we are just so thankful for your prayers, your love and support, and for God's grace uh, during this time. And uh, it's, uh, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing. I said something on a video that I sent that when a baby is born, the baby cries and everyone else rejoices. When someone goes out into eternity to be with Jesus, they're rejoicing while everyone else is crying. And that's the hope that we have in him, that we can rejoice because she is rejoicing and she's with Jesus. So thank you, all of you, for your love, support, your prayers, your thoughts, uh, so meaningful at this, at this time. Make sure if you have a, if you have a, a testimony, write it down, tell us about an answer to prayer. Here's an answer to prayer that uh, just very quickly, Nick Lagern had a friend who received a report about his health, Parkinson's, that was not definitive, um, but uh, it was Parkinson's disease that he was diagnosed with, and uh, Nick and, and his life group were praying for him, and he rang just a couple of days later and said that he just heard that the condition that he had was uh, they had re-diagnosed him that it wasn't Parkinson's, it was something else. And from a medical point of view, that's, a, that's an explanation. But from God's point of view, that's a, that's a miracle. So thank God for that. Let's keep praying. And uh, I told uh, Nick, I think what God is doing in his life is he's drawing him closer to him through this experience. So today... I'm going to continue with a series that we're, we're uh, in on miracles, Miracle May. Jess talked about that. It's a month when we focus on miracles. And just uh, as I said in the video earlier, I focus this year, or our key word on our focus is presence. Uh, God's presence makes all the difference. Thank God when we have been walking through this difficult time as a family. Thank God for God's presence. The number of times I've said, I don't know how people go through experiences like this without knowing God's presence. So thankful for God's presence. But then our presence makes all the difference. And that's what I was saying earlier. We are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We're so thankful for your love and your support and the fact that we can be present in someone else's experience, in someone else's journey, in someone else's pain, we make all the difference. So God's presence makes all the difference, and our presence makes all the difference. And on the first weekend of this month, I talked about how miracles happen, but they don't just happen. Miracles happen but there's always something that takes place. There's always something that triggers the miracle. There's always something that initiates a, a, move, a move of God or God moving supernaturally in our lives. So um, the, 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 they happen, but they don't just happen. And so I spoke about how miracles happen in God's presence. Well, God's omnipresent but there's a difference between God's omnipresence and His manifest presence. Have you ever felt God's manifest presence? I remember when I, the, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I had a literal vision of Jesus standing in front of me with His arms open wide, and I felt the presence of God. I think I got a taste of what heaven is going to be like. I was 
enveloped in the purest, most wonderful sense of love and acceptance that I have ever experienced in my life. And I could have stayed in that place forever, for eternity. And I think I got a taste of what heaven is like. That was an experience of the manifest presence of God. And the greatest miracle of all that happened in my life is that I accepted Christ as my Savior. A 23-year-old, long-haired hippie, living the lifestyle of a hippie, on my way back to India or South America. Uh, I was trying to make up my mind where to go, and I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life forever. Miracles happen in God's presence. Today, I want to talk about how miracles happen when we are present. I wonder if you've ever had, if you're married, you no doubt had this conversation, especially if you're a male. I wonder if you've ever had a moment where your wife is talking to you or your spouse is talking to you and you're just saying yes, 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 and they turn to you and say, I feel like you're somewhere else. Di has that experience often, especially when I'm watching sport. Uh, and, 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 and she knows I'm present, but I'm not present. And so there's nothing happening. I'm present, but I'm not present. There's no connection. There's no interaction. There's nothing that's, that, that, that's taking place as we communicate together. Um, I wonder if you have uh, ever been, can cast your mind back to when you were at school, and when I was at school, I would I'd stare out the window, and, and the voice of the teacher would get quieter and quieter and quieter as I had these kind of daydreams, and I'd be woken up invariably with a piece of chalk being thrown at me. Or sometimes it was one of those er erasers, you know, for wiping the chalk off the board with the wood on the back and the soft front. They would throw that at you. Back in the day, teachers were allowed to do that. I think those days should come back again. We might live in a better world. <laughs> but I'd be somewhere else. I was present, but I wasn't present. I remember growing up as a kid, I was always taught that you should look at someone in the eyes when they talk to you. And that when you, it was rude not to look at someone in the eye when you were conversing with them. And, and I've learned that as a, as a skill, and I, I've tried to impress that on my kids, not all that successfully all the time, but that when you have a conversation with someone, you need to have eye contact, engage with them, because it shows that you're present. The eyes are the window to the soul. So uh, it's, it's so important, and I'm sure over the last 14, 15 months, kids that have been present online, studying uh, online, not at school, have been present but very absent as well. So we know that there's a difference between being present and being present. Being present and really being present. And I have three thoughts that I want to share with you this morning that are important thoughts. I think that relate to how miracles happen when we are present. The first of these statements or thoughts is this. Presence requires participation. Think about it. Presence requires participation. We were worshiping God earlier, and I happened to have a cup of coffee. I've got to tell you, we have some of the best coffee on the planet here. But I had a cup of coffee in my hand, which I normally don't. 
And I was thinking about the moment, the worship that we were experiencing. And it's so easy in, in worship, you know, bring a coffee in and have your coffee and just kind of watch what the team are doing because they're doing a great job. There's a big difference between that and actually uh, uh, what I did, which I had a little bit left, I just drank it down real quick, and then, uh, and then I engaged and I lifted my hands, and I experienced the presence of God. I was present in that moment. And the difference between what we experience or what we don't experience is all determined by our participation. Presence requires participation. There's a story that I want to share with you that's a great story. It's in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read it from the Bible, the New King James Version, which we all know was the version that Jesus read. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, this is some time after the resurrection of Jesus. It's after the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church. So, we are now um, we are now after Pentecost, which was 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion. We're now two, three months into the early days of the early church. And they're going to the temple at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms or to beg for charity or ask for charity a charitable gift from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, I'd love to have been there to see this. So he, leaping, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. At what had happened. You know, that's an amazing story. And as I said, I would have loved to have been there, but you know, one of the one of, I think, the most amazing things about that story, which isn't recorded in that story, is that that man sat at the one of the entrances to the temple, and there is almost no doubt at all that Jesus would have walked past him on multiple occasions, and yet no miracle took place. I want you to think about that for a moment. Why? Why did Jesus not heal him? Jesus went about healing people everywhere. Well, the reality is not everyone who was sick or not everyone who was afflicted during Jesus' day was healed. He healed multiplied people. But this man was at the gate. Jesus would have walked past him regularly. Did Jesus in his foreknowledge, go, I'm leaving him for Peter and John. His day's going to come. Or was it that just there's something for us to learn from this story? 
And my question is, and the thing that I, I learned from this story, is that this happened because there was a moment of connection. There was a moment of engagement. There was a moment of participation that triggered and released a supernatural miracle. And that's what I want us to lay a hold of today when it comes to our miracle and coming to, to believe, receive our miracle, that it requires that moment. It requires that engagement. It requires our participation to, in order for that miracle that we're believing God for to happen. And it began with this. He asked them for something, and then they said, look at us. They invited him into that moment. They invited him to participate in the miracle. And I want to say to you this morning, God in this month of miracles is inviting you and me to participate in the miracle. Not just to be like those who are on a raft on a lazy river, floating around, having a siesta, maybe God's going to do something. No, there's nothing passive about this. God is inviting us to participate, to engage, to connect with Him so that we can experience that supernatural miracle. And God, here's the thought that I want to have, share with you, is that God wants to do the miracle, or God wants us to be a part of the miracle. He wants us to participate in the miracle. And there's a reason for that. Because God is every bit as interested in the process as He is in the provision. I want you to think about that. God is every bit as interested in the process as He is in the provision. The provision is the miracle. For this man, uh, it was that he would be healed. But for you, it may be uh, whatever it may be. It may be a, you need healing, physical healing. And the process is that we're connecting with God. We're participating. We're reaching out to God. We're crying out to Him. We're, we're, we're drawing closer to Him. And in the process, God is drawing us closer to Him, and He's doing something in us. And sometimes I'm going to ask, ask you, I wonder if I was to ask you, what is more important to God, the process or the provision? If in the process, Nick's friend comes to Christ and goes out into eternity to spend an eternity with Jesus, the process is more important even than his healing and the provision. Is that not correct? Far more important than someone who maybe has the miracle, but like the nine lepers who walked away and failed to give thanks to Jesus, walks away and forgets what Jesus has done in their life. Does that make sense? In the process, we're in the process. Anyone here in the process of believing God for a miracle? We're in the process. God's working in the process. He's every bit as interested in the process as He is in the provision. And so He invites us to participate with Him. And so in this story, it says, so the lame man, so He gave them His attention. 
expecting to receive something from them. So he participated. And every single miracle that you see in the Bible, there's participation. Remember the story of the, of the 5,000 that were fed, and, and the disciples said, this, they, were, they, were, they were lovely people. The disciples said to Jesus, there's 5,000 people here, and they're hungry. Send them away. <laughs> they were in process. <laughs> Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And they looked at one another and thought, well, even if we had a year's wages... We wouldn't be able to buy enough food to feed these 5,000 people besides women and children. And Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, well, there's a boy here who has five loaves and two small fishes. We can try and prize it out of his hands, but it's not going to go very far. And that little boy, he gave five loaves and two small fishes, and Jesus gave it. He blessed it, and he gave it to the disciples. And as the disciples handed it out, the miracle didn't, they didn't have, they didn't, the miracle happened as they handed it out. It wasn't like they didn't have a, they didn't fill up a semi-trailer like we do with food with love and then hand it out. No, it happened as they handed it out. Just kept going. It was the never-ending, the never-ending loaf of bread. They were involved the boy had to give his lunch to get the 12 baskets full that he went home with. The disciples had to hand the food out. It required participation. The story of the man who had a shriveled arm, Jesus said, stretch your arm out. He couldn't do it. He, Jesus asked him to participate in the miracle. Do what you can't do. Stretch your arm out. The blind man who, who Jesus spat in the clay and made a paste and put the paste in his eye. How? Imagine if you came forward for healing and you said, I've got a problem with my eyes. And I spat in my hand. Now, I can't do that because of COVID restrictions now, but pre-COVID or post-COVID, I just spat in the palm of my hand and said, just, just stay there for a minute. And I smeared your eyes with it. Ugh. But he told him, now, go down to the Pool of Siloam. And I've been to the Pool of Siloam in, in Jerusalem. Go down to the Pool of Siloam and wash your eyes there. And as he washed his eyes, he was healed. Every single miracle, read through it in the Bible, involves the person who receives the miracle in the act of participating. I want to encourage you. You need a miracle this month. What are you doing? What am I doing to participate in that miracle? Because miracles require participation. Participation is a part of the miracle. The second thing is that participation creates expectation. Participation creates expectation. He participated in this. It says, so he gave them his attention. There's his participation, expecting to receive something from them. His participation created an expectation. Participation fans the flames of expectation. 
passivity never brings about expectation. Passivity could bring about a wish and a prayer or a hope. It never brings expectation. The, the, our participation creates an expectation and fans the flame of expectation, which is invariably why Jesus asked the people who were healed to do something. And when they did it, they participated. They, as soon as Jesus told them to do something, expectation started to spring up in them. It fanned the flames of expectation. They began to expect something. Jesus has asked me to do something. It's going to happen. That blind man who walked down the pool of Siloam, and it's a long way, by the way, from where Jesus would have prayed for him, down that hill, the man who walked down that hill to the pool of Siloam, he was, as every step he took, the expectation in him grew and increased until he got down there. And I imagine he got down on his knees and he got the water and he scooped it up in his hand and he washed his eyes. When he opened his eyes, he expected that he was going to see. Participation creates expectation. And I want to encourage you, as we participate, as we ask God, what is it that you want me to do? Let's, let's understand that in our participation, expectation is going to grow. Faith is going to grow because we are participating in this miracle. Every year at the end of our month of miracles, we give a miracle offering. And the miracle offering that we give is so that we can be someone else's miracle. For example, have you read the news about what's happening in India right now with COVID? And we are actively present with uh, Bijou Thampi and Vision Rescue in the work that they're doing with kids on the streets of Mumbai and other cities in India. Our giving enables us to support those kids. And as I said previously, we want to, we, I would love to be able to support even more, and I'd love to be able to do even more. But our giving and our participation is the miracle that they need right now of food and shelter and clothing and health care and hope that is being brought to them through a message of hope that they are carrying, whether it's our food with love who go out uh, every week and have been serving food here, Santa Ana, we're the answer to someone else's need. We're the provision for someone else's miracle. The house that we built in Peru and the others that we're in the process of, although COVID put a bit of a hold on it, the others that we're in the process of building, they are providing shelter and hope. There's a family out there who's it, that are expecting. They have no idea. They have no idea what's coming their way. They don't know that there's people in Newport who are, who, who, prepare, who are preparing to be the answer to their miracle. So when we give that miracle offering, I'm, I have expectation that we're going to be the answer to someone else's need and to someone else's prayer. But then I also believe this, that God says when we sow seed, He will multiply the seed that we sow. And I believe that when I sow that seed, that God's going to bless and multiply the seed. And I've always seen him do it. 
Because my, the sowing of that seed creates an expectation that is aligned with God's word that he will multiply the seed that we sow and he gives seed to the sower. We talked, um, we've talked so much about those things that we want to do, that we, our vision, and so our participation creates an expectation. The third statement that I want to make is this, that expectation precedes demonstration. Expectation precedes demonstration. What does that mean? Expectation precedes miraculous demonstration. Jesus went about demonstrating the power of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the expectation, the 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 expectation that rose in people preceded a demonstration of God's power and God's amazing ability. Presence requires participation. Participation creates expectation, and expectation precedes demonstration. We're waiting for a demonstration of God's power. We're waiting for a demonstration of God's provision. We're waiting for a demonstration of God to do what He promises to do. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. I like the King James Version. I revert to King James here. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the expectation of that man preceded a supernatural demonstration that caused him to be miraculously healed. Never underestimate the power of expectation. When, when we have a divine expectation, when faith and expectation go hand in hand, significant things happen. I know from my own personal experience, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the weight of our problems, of the need, of the challenges that we face, and kind of become passive. The one thing the enemy wants to do to defeat you is to make you passive, to give up, to fall asleep, to to go, it's too much. But God is stirring. He's wanting to stir us. He's wanting to stir us into participation. He's wanting to stir us into expectation so that He can demonstrate His amazing supernatural ability. And when the two blind men, two blind men that Jesus healed who came following Him saying, Son of David, have mercy on us and heal us. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I can heal you? And they said, yes, we believe. And Jesus put his hands over their eyes and said, you will have what your faith expects. And instantly their eyes were opened and they could see. You will have what your faith expects. They participated. They cried out to Jesus and followed him. Hey, this is a month for crying out to Jesus and following him. They were expectant. Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? And Jesus said, they said, yes. And he said, you'll have what your faith expects. And then they said, there was a miraculous demonstration of God's power. 
and they opened their eyes and they could see. We talked about Dai's dad. We call him Da. I think Da is dad in Irish. That's what they call their dads in Ireland. He's not Irish, but he's a talker. He loves to talk to people. We talked about the miracles in his life. He's just a walking miracle. You know what? Every single time he said, last time he said, I got, they found a cancer in my lung. He said, but it's going to be okay. I know God's going to heal me. It's almost like we have this expectation. He's going to be healed because he has that faith and he, he has had that expectation. There's a passage in the Bible that I, I, I want to talk about, and it's an important one, and it's some, one that we kind of sometimes feel a little uncomfortable about, but it's to do with finance. But every one of us wants God to bless our finances. And the principle that I'm talking about is how you and I can experience God's supernatural power working in our finances. Because if our miracle provides if our miracle requires participation, then it requires that we sow a seed, that we give something, that we initiate. And the Bible talks about that. If I want to see a miracle in my finances, I can't just wait for pennies to fall from heaven. Well, $100 bills to fall from heaven might be better, but it's not going to happen. Because God says, okay, you want me to open the windows of heaven? then I need you to do something. And this is a passage of Scripture that I learned. I became 43 years ago. Uh, I, I, 43 years, that's a long time. I became a Christian. And I read this verse, these pa this passage, and I really struggled with it. And I've got to be honest with you, I struggled with it. And I want to read it now. It's from Malachi 3. It's going up on the screens. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. It goes on and say, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And here's the thing, God says that He'll open the windows of heaven if we bring the tithe into the storehouse. The tithe is the first 10% of everything that comes into our lives. Now that's like, first time I read that was like, you've got to be kidding. Are you serious? And I struggled with it. And God began to move on my heart, and I began to study it, and I saw the Scriptures are true. And I also found out that there are many, many people who are not Christians who tithe because they know that it works. It's a principle from God's Word that relates to the first tenth. So once I started to get my head around it, then I had to struggle with before tax or after tax. Okay, Jesus, uh, you know, surely it's after tax. And I felt like God saying, well, who comes first? The government or me? And I said, well, you do, Lord. He said, well, there's your answer. So ever since then, I've always tithed before tax. Because God comes first, then Uncle Sam after. 
And this is what I expect when I bring my tithe into the storehouse. And I've been doing it, you know, the first couple of years I really struggled. I had to make up some ground and ask, God, can you forgive me for that, that, those couple of years? And then I started to get all uptight about it and God just said, no, start, just start. Just start to do it. And this is what I expect. There's three things I expect. Number one, God's going to open the windows of heaven so that there will, I will be blessed and I will not have room to contain it. In other words, I'm not going to live scraping the barrel. I'm going to live out of an overflow so I can be generous on every occasion. I believe God for that. I expect it. And this is not about, you know, who I, you know, where it goes. The tithe belongs in the storehouse, which is where we go to church. It's our church so that the church can be a storehouse to help people. But to me, it was just between me and God, I'm doing that. The first thing, I'm expecting God to open the windows of heaven. Here's the second thing God says. He'll rebuke the devourer for my sake. Who's the devourer? The enemy. Well, back in the day, they were farmers. And you, I, I guess, well, I don't have a farm. No, the devourer is the enemy. So when I tithe, I believe that my car is not going to break down as much. My washing machine, my dye's washing machine is not going to break down as much. You know, the, 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 the devourer is not going to, that God, it's like an insurance policy. A divine insurance policy where a, a, anyone know you live in the house, sometimes you feel like the law of entropy is taking over. Everything's breaking down, everything's falling apart. God says he'll rebuke the devourer, including those worms that get onto my tomatoes or my tomatoes, the tomato worms. I believe that God will rebuke those tomato worms. And the third thing is that we will be called blessed. Why would people call us blessed? Because we are blessed. Because I put that principle into operation. And here's the thing. God says that when it comes to our offerings... He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply the seed that we have sown. Why am I saying that? It's because when I do that, I have a supernatural expectation that precedes a demonstration of God's provision. And this is what I always say to people when it comes to tithing or it comes to finances, which is one of those uncomfortable kind of conversations sometimes people are you know, get uncomfortable when you talk about it. This is about you and God. It's not about whether it's Newport Church or any other church. It's about a divine principle that God wants you to see at work in your life. And it begins with participation. It begins with a step. It begins with sowing a seed. And we have those cards, give God 90 days. And we've said to people, give God 90 days. Try God. It's the only place in the Bible where you're allowed to try God, where you're allowed to put God to the test. Try for 90 days and see what God will do. And here's the other thing. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. In other words, you don't do it because you feel guilty. You don't do it because someone's talking about it like... I happen to be at the time you do it because there's faith. Something stirs on the inside of you. You go, I, I could believe God for that. I could believe that God will do what he says he will do in that area of my life. We're going to believe God this month for miracles. 
Miracles happen when we're present. Miracles happen when we participate. Miracles happen when we have expectation. And miracle hap miracles happen when we prime the pump and see what God will do. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me? Would you give Jesus a big hand of praise? Thank God for His faithfulness. Thank God for His goodness. I want to pray for you right now. And I know that Jess prayed a prayer earlier, but I want to encourage you just to close your eyes. Put your hand on your chest. And whatever it is that you're believing God for this month, you're believing God for healing. You're believing God for provision. You're believing God for restoration or reconciliation or breakthrough or a job or whatever it may be. Right now as we pray, I want to encourage you to think, what am I going to do to participate in this miracle? And that when you've made that decision and when you activate that, that you have a sense of faith that my participation is going to cause my expectation to grow and my expectation is going to precede the miracle that God is going to bring to my life. So Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who has no limitations and whose love for us is without beginning or end. And today as we come to you, we, we look to you as our source. You are our God. Everything that we have comes from you. Everything that we are is because of you. We thank you for the eternal hope that we have and that we share. And today as we, we believe and as we come to you and we ask you, because you say in your word, you have not because you ask not. And so we're asking, Lord, we're asking that you will do supernatural, miraculous things in our lives, in our church, in our friends' and families' lives. We're believing. We are going to participate with you, Lord. We are going to participate together, and we're believing for expectation to increase, to faith to rise, and, Lord, that you will do what you promised to do in your Word. We trust you, Lord. We put our hope and our faith in you implicitly. And today, Lord, may you show yourself strong just as that man was raised to his feet and he went leaping and praising and thanking God. May we also be leaping for joy and praising you when you do what you promise to do in your word. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. One last thing I want to do. There are people maybe watching online or maybe even people here and you've never ever made a commitment of your life to Christ. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never accepted what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he took the penalty of our sin that separates us from God upon himself so that our sin could be forgiven that separation between us and God could be removed. We could be connected to God and we could receive the promise of eternal life. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today to do that right now. 
by simply praying this prayer after me. You don't have to do anything to prove your worth or merit to God. Simply accept as a gift would be accepted what He did for you and it will be yours. So we're going to pray this together. Pray it from your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I ask you to forgive me. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. And I promise that all the days of my life, I will trust you. I will follow you. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me your divine strength. And I thank you. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God together. If you prayed that prayer and you're watching online, there's some